0: So today we have a very very special speaker Someone whom I admire, respect and whom I really honour Both as my own mentor as well as a friend uh, Pastor Edmund Chan from Singapore He has been a senior pastor of Covenant Evangelical Free Church in Singapore One of the leading churches uh, for 25 years And the amazing thing is He has stepped aside now for for around 10 years now And Uh, covenant continues to thrive to grow not because of anything but because of the wonderful way he has mentored and trained his successors. and today you know uh, covenant is still one of the leading churches in singapore not only in singapore but also around this region Uh, edmund uh, is now uh, going around Right, besides the leadership mentor for Covenant, he's also the co-founder of the Global Alliance of Intentional Discipleship Making Churches uh, and that's the reason why I connect with him because the SIBKL is an IDMC, okay? We are an intentional discipleship making church but Edmund goes around the whole of the world connecting with key leaders and uh, training them in leadership as well as in discipleship. He's written 17 books. One seventh amazing it like 17 books you know what I mean? it's Not really a prolific author A thinker, a teacher, a trainer So wonderful he's here today With his dear wife Anne Alright Anne can you stand up and be recognised So we put hands together and welcome on the stage Pastor Edmund Chan from Singapore Come on church let's give Pastor Edmund a very warm Malaysian and SIBKL welcome Come on everyone let's give You can do better than this Whoa hey,
1: Thank you very much. Um, Pastor Chu has been very, very kind in his introduction. I, I learned one thing about introductions. Introductions are like perfume. It's meant to be sniffed a little, not meant to be swallowed. Because in his kind introduction, he exaggerated a lot of things, right? So the Lord forgive you for exaggerating. <laughs> and the Lord forgive me for enjoying your exaggeration. I'm so glad to be in SIPKL again. Thank you for your kind reception and hospitality. Let's get into the word in Isaiah chapter 6. I want to begin with verse 1. Isaiah 6.1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His rope filled the temple. Isaiah chapter one, uh, chapter six is an inspiring chapter. One of the most stirring chapters in the Old Testament. It's a chapter of vision and the call of Isaiah, but more importantly, it's a chapter on spiritual posture. You see, I've learned our perspective is dependent upon our posture. In other words, our posture determines our perspective. In one of the art galleries in London, there's an entire floor dedicated to Italian Renaissance art. One day, a famous art critic by the name of Dr. Robert Cummings came to view this particular uh, series of art in the Italian Renaissance era. He came before a painting called The Virgin and Child by Lippi, a 15th century Italian artist. He could see the Talent in the brushstrokes of the artist. He could see the, the colors that were used, the perspective, but he said to himself, Something is amiss in this painting. He couldn't put his finger as to what's amiss in this painting. He stared at it for a long time, examining it, and then the thought struck him what if this painting wasn't commissioned to be hung in an art gallery? What if the painting was commissioned to be hung in a place of prayer? And in a place of prayer, unlike the art gallery, you will not be standing to observe the painting. You will be kneeling. So Professor Cummings did something he has never done before. In a public art gallery, he knelt before the painting, The Virgin and Child. And when he looked up, Everything was in the right proportion. The perspective, everything in this masterpiece was beautiful and just right. Our posture determines our perspective. In a post-pandemic time, we live in uncertain in an uncertain world, and if we were to try and learn and observe and try to figure out this uncertainty in an uncertain world, standing upon human wisdom, we cannot fathom the uncertainty until we come kneeling before the Lord to ask Him for His perspective of things because our posture will determine our perspective. In Isaiah chapter 6, there were three statements Isaiah made that shows us his posture and evidence for us the fresh perspective he gained. That's what I want to examine with you today. Would you bow with me in prayer as we ask the Lord's blessing? Eternal God and Heavenly Father, once again, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Those things that are not from you, please scatter them to the wind so that they fall of no effect. But those things that are from you, please deposit them in our hearts and help us not just to be hearers of your word, but doers also that we might grow thereby. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes I've been asked, what do you do as leadership mentor? And I say, well, I help leaders connect the dots and see the larger picture. That's what I hope to do uh, this morning with, with the passage before us in Isaiah 6 to help you connect the dots and see the larger picture. And, and once we connect the dots, these are the three statements that Isaiah made that I think is very important for us to understand what is at the heart of this chapter. First statement I saw the Lord. Second statement Woe is me. And the third statement, here am I, send me. Let's explore this one at a time. The first statement, I saw the Lord. This has to do with aligning a right to God's compass. I saw the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, Isaiah said. Now in this statement, I saw the Lord, I'd like to highlight three things for you. The first is to understand what Isaiah faced the second, what he saw, and the third, what he reported. Let's first examine what Isaiah faced. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah faced a national crisis. You see, King Uzziah came to the throne at 16 years old. He ruled for 52 years. He ushered in the golden age, an age of prosperity for the nation. But now the king, the prop, as it were, has died. And worse, Assyria is rising up and flexing its military muscles westward. In other words, you now have an enemy at your doorstep and the king is gone. You know what that is? A national crisis. So in the year that King Uzziah died, that's uh, 739 BC, Isaiah was faced with a national crisis. But notice... What he saw, he did not say on the year that King Uzziah died, I saw hope or I saw a strategy or I saw a plan. No, on the year that, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. We need a fresh vision of God in our life and in our ministry. We need to shift our focus aright. Our focus from the circumstances, our focus from the difficulty, our circus, our focus from the challenges to see the Lord. Our greatest need in life ministry leadership is a fresh vision of God. Let's contrast Uzziah with God. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah knew I, Uzziah was a human king. I saw the Lord the divine king. Uzziah was gone. God is present. Uzziah is in the grave. God is on the throne. Uzziah is relinquished. Our God reigns. Uzziah has failed. God is faithful. Uzziah is dead. God is alive. Uzziah was the prop. God is the power. I saw the Lord. So he faced a national crisis and he shared what he saw. There was a shift of focus where he saw the Lord. Now notice what he reported. He said now, verse uh, 2, Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of His glory. Holy, holy, holy. That's what Isaiah reported about God. Now, why did he emphasize the holiness of God? Why don't say love, 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 God is love? Because God is love. Or truth, 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 God is true. Or faithful, faithful, faithful. Or merciful, 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 merciful. Why holy, holy, holy? I want you to note, first of all, that the emphasis on holy, holy, holy is one of the ways to emphasize a Hebrew superlative. One of the ways to emphasize something in the English is to give an intensifier. So if I want to tell you this is true and I want to emphasize it, the intensifier I can use is very, this is very true. Or extremely, this is extremely true. Or exceedingly, this is exceedingly true. One of the ways is emphasized in the Hebrew language is to, to repeat that. Truly, truly, I say to you, means this is very true. So when Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, this is absolutely true. What you have here is an expression of an intensifier, holy, holy, holy. It's a superlative of superlatives. It is very, very, absolutely, completely, uniquely holy. If you ask a seminary student, uh, define holiness. The common definition, which is a right one, Common definition is holiness is separation. The question is, how do you get the idea of separation? The etymology of the word holy means to cut. And when you make a cut, you're making a separation. And theologians use the term the transcendence of God. In other words, God is separate as creator from his creation, the transcendent God. So the idea of the holiness of God is just just about the greatness of God or even the goodness of God. It is the moral goodness of God. It is about the uniqueness of God. God is absolutely unique. There is none else. God Himself declared, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I'll do my good pleasure. I am God and there is none else, I am God, and there is none like me. God is absolutely unique, holy. Now once you understand that, you understand why holiness is emphasized by Isaiah as the defining attribute of God. Because his love is a holy love. Otherwise, it's an indulgent love. His grace is a holy grace. Otherwise, it's an indulgent grace. His mercy is a holy mercy. Otherwise, it's an arbitrary mercy. Everything about every other attribute of God is defined by the central defining attribute that God is holy and absolutely unique. Holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty, totally distinct, totally unique. Now, the implication for the church is enormous because Jesus said to us as his disciples, we, you are to be holy as God is holy. In other words, as God is unique, his people is to be distinctive. But we have lost that distinctiveness in the modern church. We have become consumers. And as a result, in that spiritual consumerism, we lose that sense of identity, that sense of distinctiveness, that sense of call that God calls us to redeem people. We are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The emphasis Jesus gave is in the distinct emphatic pronoun. When he says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. The emphatic pronoun means you and you alone. There is none else on this planet. You in me, you are the salt of the earth. You in me, you are the light of the world. You and you alone. That's the emphasis. That's the distinctiveness. Church, we cannot lose that. And when we have a fresh vision of God and His holiness, it brings us back to our identity in Him. It brings us back to who we are as a distinct people of God. We need a fresh vision of God and we need a fresh sense of our identity, our true identity, our true worth that is in Christ Jesus. That's what is reported. The application is an important one. If we have a view of a holy God who is almighty, who is unique, who is great, then understand this simple equation. Big God, great God, small problem. Small God, big problems. So when you look at your circumstance, you look at the challenges, the question is not how dark or how difficult or how great the circumstance or problem is. It's how great a God we have. We need a fresh vision of a holy God, a mighty God, a great God, and we are called a distinct people in Him. He uses the circumstances of our life and the challenges to refine us, to sanctify us, and to make us Holy, set apart, distinct. So it doesn't mean uh, that we are Christians, we are set apart so when the rain and storm come, wow, all around us is sunshine everywhere else. Everybody who is not a believer, the pagans will have the rain. We have a spiritual umbrella. Or if you cross the road, you hold the Bible, then you can close your eyes. You walk by faith, not by sight, and nothing will touch you. That's superstitious. Or if the economic storm comes, all Christians will have your job intact and guaranteed promotion because you're blessed of the Lord. It's the pagans that will be retrenched. Says who? That's not the right view of the world we live in. When the rain comes, whether you're Christian or not, so long as you're in the rain, you will get wet. You cross the road, you cross the uh close your eyes and cross carelessly, you get knocked down. When the recession comes, you may get retrenched. But the difference is not that we don't get retrenched or we don't get wet or we don't get knocked down. The difference when you knock down, you can stand up in Christ. When you get restrained, you can testify to the faithfulness of God and the joy of the Lord does not leave you. When you're sick, it doesn't mean, oh, God will heal you every time. Listen to me carefully. If God heals you every time you're sick, who dies? Point is, in this fallen, broken world, there will be sickness, there will be tears, there will be difficulty. But the distinctiveness of the Christian, we have a fresh vision of a holy God who will not let us down. He allows this circumstance to purify us, to sanctify us, to bless us, so that we have a testimony. In this fallen world, we don't lose that testimony. We have that testimony. In a consumeristic world, you're looking for a title, privileged position, but God is not interested in your titles. He's interested in your testimony. And so whatever the circumstance, when you anchor in God, big God, small problems, but if you have a small God, you have huge problems. We need a fresh vision of God. The second statement Isaiah made, it's not just, I saw the Lord, which is relating a right to God's compass. He says the second statement, woe is me, it is a right relating a right to God's conviction. Woe is me, he said, for I am undone. Look at verse uh, 5. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I am a man of unclean lips, he cried. Now, even in the Middle Eastern world now, there's a term, water," dirty lips. It's an idiom to mean uncleanness or sinfulness. So get this. Isaiah, when he saw the grand vision of the grandeur of God and the holiness of God, he wasn't lamenting his smallness in the light of the great God. He was convicted of his sinfulness in the presence of a holy God. Woe is me, he cried out. I'm a man of unclean lips. I am sinful. We need to be convicted of that in the presence of a holy God. Some will say, but I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a rapist. I am above average. God doesn't grade grade according to the curve above average. It's either you are holy or you are not. John Wesley When he was a boy, this young theologian asked his mother, Susanna Wesley, what is sin? And Susanna Wesley gave him a definition of sin that is profound. In essence, Susanna Wesley said, this is sin. Whatever weakens your reasoning, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes away your relish for spiritual things, In short, whatever increases the authority and power of the flesh over the spirit, that to you is sin, no matter how good it seems. When we come before a holy God, there is a conviction that God is holy and we have sinned against Him. We have lost that conviction before the holiness of God. We have shifted the woe is me to the wow is me. Me. I mean, Isaiah is one of the most revered prophets of the Old Testament. And yet, when he came before holy God, his cry was, Woe is me. Today in our consumeristic world, if we encounter God and we have a fresh vision of God, we go, Wow, is me. And I should go and host a conference on how to see God, money back guarantee. I saw the Lord, Wow is me. Listen. According to the Scriptures, when Isaiah saw the Lord, his cry was, woe is me, for I am lost, I am undone. I'm unraveled because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. That's the human crisis. And then you see from that crisis, there was a conviction that comes of forgiveness, cleansing, renewal. It's such a beautiful picture you shouldn't miss in Isaiah 6 because Isaiah 6, when the prophet saw the Lord, there were two things he noticed. He noticed the throne and he noticed the altar. Do you realise first and foremost that thrones are meant for palaces, Not for temples. And yet in the temple, he saw a vision of the Lord on his throne. Why? Because wherever God is, the holy God is in control. The holy God is sovereign. The holy God is on his throne. Our God doesn't sit on a plastic stool. He sits high and mighty and lofty on his throne. So that's what Isaiah saw, the throne in the temple. And then he saw the altar in the temple. It's the altar that brings the cleansing. Oh, it's a terrifying thing to have the presence of God where the throne is without the altar. Because without the altar, where is the redemption? Without the altar, where is the cleansing? Without the altar, where's the restoration? Without the altar, where's the forgiveness? And what is the altar? The altar is not a place. The altar is captured in the New Testament, in the declaration of John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ, upon the altar of God. Therein is our cleansing. There is no other name by which humanity is to be saved except the name of Jesus. Because the Bible says, for all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin, the result and penalty of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus, the altar of God and thereby we can have the forgiveness of sins. Jesus. In this world there are only two categories of people, the saved and the unsaved. Those who pass on to eternity with Jesus in heaven or those who have not have Jesus and therefore they come under the judgment of God. That's what the Bible says. God doesn't send people to hell; it's our unbelief and our stubbornness that send ourselves hell. God sent His Son to save us from hell and all He does is call us to believe. That's all. Everything I know about the theology of salvation, the theology of redemption is summarized to four key truths. Let me give you these four quickly. The first truth is Jesus, the Lamb of God, he forgives all our sins completely. Past sins, present sins, future sins. Can you imagine if Jesus come to me and say, Edmund Chan, I love you a lot. I die on the cross for your sins. If you believe in me, all your past sins are forgiven. All your present sins are forgiven. But midnight tonight, after midnight tonight, all your future sins, you take care of yourself. I don't know about you, I will tremble because I know there is nothing I can do to atone for my sins. Because why? I stand before a holy God. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from all our sins and praise God that all our sins, past, present and future, completely forgiven in Christ. Second truth of our salvation, it is eternal. Can you imagine if Jesus Christ came to me and said, Edmund Chan, I love you a lot. I died on the cross for your sins. If you believe in me, you will go to heaven for a million years. I would tremble. Because don't talk about a million years. A billion years or a trillion years is but a nanosecond a blink of an eye in the ocean of eternity. I will be lost for all eternity. But praise God, Jesus said, believe in me, your sins are completely forgiven forever, for all time and eternity. Completely, eternally forgiven. The third truth of salvation it is free. I'm a pastor in an evangelical free church. Free is good. <laughs> Salvation is free. God doesn't say you have to do all these things. God says, believe that it's a free gift of God. So here's the question If it's free, why are there so many who reject the free gift of God in Christ Jesus? Two reasons. Unbelief and stubbornness of heart. A lack of posture, of contriteness and conviction. Woe is me. I stand before a holy God. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for my sins. Unbelief and stubbornness. So it's not God sending us to hell. It's ourselves when we don't believe. I told you, Our posture determines our perspective. It's not because we don't have knowledge. The Bible declares to us the truth. It's in the hardness of the heart. But if we are willing to come in the right posture, to come in humility before God, in conviction of our sins, there is no one perfect. And therefore, we come to say, Lord Jesus, save me like the thief on the cross. There's nothing He could do on the cross. All He could do is, Lord, when you come to your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, today you will be me in paradise. He did not say, okay, come down from the cross, get baptised, and go ten church membership class, and then go out on a mission trip, then go back and hang on the cross again, and join me in paradise. no. Today, you'll be in paradise simply by believing. That's the power of the gospel. That's the good news. We are forgiven in Christ Jesus. You know how precious forgiveness is? Because without it, we are lost for all eternity. There is one word that defines my life. And that one word is Forgiven. That is why in the discipleship conferences I mentioned before, forgiveness of God is so precious for a sinner like me. It's at the heart of the gospel, the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus that I determine that in my tombstone, this will be the one word, forgiven. It is the word that defines my life. So I told my wife Anne, I said, Anne, don't make me a liar because I've said this publicly. So my tombstone, remember, the date of my birth, the date I'm taken home, my name, and then in a word bigger than my name, it is the word forgiven. Because that defines me in Christ Jesus, forgiven. Because that's the most precious thing to me, forgiven. Then my wife, being my wife, enchant smart cookie, she said to me, Edmund, I also have a request when I die my tombstone is next to you and then I want two words and I say darling what are the two words by me <laughs> In life we need forgiveness but the greatest forgiveness we ever receive is the full eternal pardon in Christ Jesus. Can you see? The woe is me become forgiven. That is why as far as uh, uh, Isaiah was concerned, he was so deeply convicted of his sin. Woe is me, he cried out. And then he saw the angel went to the altar and took the hot coal from the altar with thongs and came before him. Now, Spurgeon says, when you read the Bible, read with sanctified imagination. So when I was younger, this was my unsanctified imagination. I, I, the only angel I know of at that time was Valentine card angel, the cubit. <laughs> Cute little angel, two small wings, flutter, flutter, flutter. we call in a thong coming to Isaiah. Isaiah go like, no, no. The angel go like, yes, yes. And then flutter, flutter towards Isaiah. And in the background music, in my mind, I play the Jaws tune. Dun, 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 dun. No, yes. Not like that. The Bible already told us the angels are the seraphims. In the Hebrew, they are the fiery ones. And these are not angels with two wings, they were the mighty angels, the fiery ones with six wings. Two cover the face because of the holiness and the brilliance of God. Two cover their feet because of the modesty before a a grandeur of God. And with two wings they fly. These were the mighty angels. And now I have a different picture. It wasn't flutter, flutter, flutter. Isaiah went, woe is me. And then he saw the angel at the altar and boom, before he knew it, the mighty angel was right in front of him with a fiery coal from the altar. Isaiah's muscle tensed up He clenched his teeth because he was afraid to be hurt. And what he thought would hurt him, healed him. The angel said to him, your guilt is removed. Your sins are atoned for. You are forgiven. In other words now, he moved from God's compass, I saw the Lord, to God's conviction, woe is me to a place of forgiveness. Then Isaiah made the third statement, here am I, send me. Look at the context of this statement because now you have him moving from the compass of a fresh vision of God to a conviction of his sin and the cleansing thereof and now he comes to his calling Aligning a right with God's compass. Aligning a right with God's conviction. Aligning a right with God's calling. So what we have now in verse 8. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Again, Notice two important things here. When you go to a scripture, pay attention to them. The nature of God's call and the nature of Isaiah's response. The nature of God's call, first of all, is this wasn't addressed to Isaiah. This was a question God of, uh, addressed to the heavenly court. He did not say, "Then the Lord said to me, "Whom shall I send?" No." He heard this call in the, uh, this question in the heavenly courts. God said, "Whom shall I send?" and who will go for us?" And notice the tone that God uh, asked that important question. It wasn't a tone of boredom, with a yawn. "Ah, who shall I send? Who will go for us?" Nor is it isn't a tone of ignorance. Who shall I send? I don't know who to send. Who will go for us? No. It wasn't a tone of anxiety. I got nobody to send. I'm scratching the bottom of the barrel. Who shall I send? No. It was simply a question that demanded a response. And the question is, whom shall I send with this picture of a God on the throne and the altar that cleanses us and the message of hope? Whom shall I send with this message? Isaiah don't need to look around. Isaiah didn't need to go, Hear my Lord, send my sister. Isaiah went, Hear my, send me. When you read a Bible passage in the narrative of the Scriptures, pay attention to the tone, pay attention to the, the theology, Um, how the narrative unfolds in the context. The theology is the forgiveness of God. The theology is the theology of holy God. What's the tone of Isaiah's response? What's the nature of his response when he said, here am I, send me. I want to suggest to you, his tone is one of gratitude. Gratitude. Once he understands the woe is me, not the wow is me, the woe is me and the forgiveness that is in God, your guilt is removed, your sins are atoned for. Now when he heard who will go for us, Isaiah went, Lord, me, Lord, me, whoo, me, Lord, gratitude. He didn't need to be asked, invited, he didn't need to wait, he didn't need to pray about it. His response is immediate out of gratitude. Then I said, "Here, my send me. I am willing to go because I've received so great a salvation. I'm willing to declare the truth that God is faithful. I'm willing to share this vision. I'm willing because I've been touched by the Lord." When I was a young man entering Bible college, there are many things I'm willing to do, but some things I'm not. I'm willing to be a trainer. The guy, like, oh, he's much glamour in training. I'm willing to be a preacher. Wow, oh, I can preach. But one of the things I'm not willing to do is, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to be a missionary, but I want to serve God on my terms. I want to tell Him where He should send me. And I think if I were God, the best place to send me, Disneyland. Why? The whole world gathers at Disneyland. I don't need to go to the world. I just stand at the gate, a whole world will come, just distribute track, go to Disneyland. I told the Lord, don't send me to Africa. Africa is so hot, the chicken produce hard boiled eggs and the cows produce evaporated milk. Don't send me to Africa. And then I grew up. And then I have been in Africa a number of times now. And we have loved the African people and the African church and counting a tremendous privilege. And now our prayer is, Lord, wherever you send me, so long as your presence is there, here my Lord, send me. Why? Because in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. In the presence of God, there is fulfillment of life. Don't let our unbelief or stubbornness or our fears and insecurities hold us back. Rather, let our sense of gratitude and joy and fulfillment in the fresh vision of God to say, Lord, let me live a missional life because when I'm in your mission, it will make a difference. One of the key things now I do is is marketplace, uh, speaking to marketplace leaders. And one of the key messages I give to marketplace leaders is you need a paradigm shift that has three movements. The first movement is my business is my business. I have to do my due diligence. I must invest in my business. I must give my level best so that I can grow my business. And then you realise as a Christian businessman, you have to move to the second movement which is not just my business, is my business, but rather my business is God's business. And so, God, you be enthroned. You come and bless my business. You can of help me in my business because my business is God's business. And I say to businessmen, that's not enough because you have to come to the third rested missional uh, conviction of your life which is not my business is my business or my business is God's business. Listen carefully now. It is God's business is my business. God's redemptive mission is my mission. I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added. All the joy, all the fulfillment, all the sense of gratitude. I am forgiven. I am alive in this generation. In an uncertain world, I have the clarity of the power of the gospel because I saw the Lord and He's on the throne. We need a fresh vision of God. I want to close with this testimony that happened in the mid-80s when I was a young man. It was an OM camp. I was leading some young people in that camp in Sereban. It was in December and this time in December, you know your Malaysian is the monsoon season. We are supposed to go out in the afternoon for evangelism and literature distribution. And so our morning uh, was spent in prayer, Lord, would you hold the rain, hold the rain, so that we can go out in evangelism. As I was leading this group, crossing an open field towards evangelism, I was praying, Lord, would you hold the rein? Because if it pours, in that part we were in, there's no shelter. The evangelism effort will be stopped. As I was crossing the field the young people, the Lord spoke to me, son, stay here and pray. So I sent the young people forth and literature distribution, track distribution, evangelism. I stood in the open field and I prayed. And time flew when I was in the presence of God and praying. Before I knew it, they have already finished the evangelism. They were coming back. And the first person who came back tapped me on the shoulder and said, Edmund, look up, look up. I looked up. I had a shock of my life because I saw something I've never seen before. I've never seen since. Up in the heavens, there was one line across the heavens. And in that line before the heavens, before uh, where I sent the young people to for the evangelism were all the bright clouds. Behind me were all the dark clouds. And in the place of prayer was the dividing line between light and darkness. That day, I saw the Lord. God is still at work today. God is still causing us to rise out from our spiritual consumerism to be missional in Him. And the greatest need we have today is a need for a fresh vision of God. So that our sense of compass and conviction and calling, there is an integrity to it. There's a profundity to it. There's a power to it in the presence of a holy God. Today, I want to pray for you as I pray for myself that we gain a fresh vision of God so that in Him, we find the truth. In Him, we find the life. In Him, we find the pathway to fulfilment and joy. I saw the Lord, Isaiah said. And then he found his conviction and with it the cleansing and the mission of his life. That's what we need today. A fresh vision of God. Would you bow with me and pray? Father, we do not need clouds in the sky to show us a fresh vision of You. All we need is the right posture that will determine our perspective, a posture of responding aright to Your Word. Help us, dear God, to respond to You, not in stubbornness or unbelief, but rather to respond with an open heart, to respond with gratitude My dear brothers and sisters, I believe each time the pages of Scripture is open, God summons us to a response. Today is no different. God is calling you to respond to Him. And God wants to give to you and I a fresh vision of Him. And if today your heart cries out, Lord, give me a fresh vision of You because I recognise my greatest need is a fresh vision of God. If you recognise that and you desire that, I want to pray for you. So wherever you are, if you're recognising this need for God, this need for fresh vision, so that your eyes are not on the circumstances, not on the problems, not on the challenges, but on the greatness and the grandeur of God, if this is your desire for fresh vision of God, I invite you to stand with me. I want to pray for you. Lord, I want a fresh vision of you. Then you stand. And you respond with the right posture of heart because your posture will determine your perspective. This day in the house of God, we are on sacred ground. This day we are on holy ground. And whatever the circumstance of your life, your need and my need is a fresh vision of God. This day we stand before Him. So I invite you, If you're not yet a Christian, you've not yet received Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour, today you also rise, you also stand, and you say, Lord, I commit my heart to you. I receive Jesus this day. The one who is on the throne and the one who is at the altar, King Jesus. I invite you to stand where you are. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for the many, many brothers and sisters who are standing. We need a fresh vision of You. And this day, Lord, I ask that You will come into our hearts and direct our minds and our hearts towards that fresh vision of God so that we live our life declaring a missional life, declaring, God, Your business is my business, and we give our life to follow Your will. I'm going to ask Pastor Chu to come up to lead us in prayer. But Lord, as I pray for these people now, would you pour forth your blessing upon them, each one of us, that we might have this
0: fresh vision of you. We thank you for this, dear God. Please remain standing. You know, this is a very solemn moment. I just sense my spirit, as I said in the first service at 8.30. I just sense my spirit, as the Word of God has been delivered. He's speaking specifically to many of you today. Who? Those of you who in many ways have heard the call of God, but somewhere along the line, you've missed it, you know. You've missed it. Somewhere along the line, something distracted you. Something caught your attention. and You kept chasing, chasing, chasing. You're chasing after rabbits. But you've gone off today. I want to believe that God is giving you a fresh eyesight, a fresh vision so that you see the Lord again. When you see the Lord again, everything falls into place, you know. Today, I want to open the altar. Especially those of you in the workplace. Somebody my spirit tells me, especially the last illustration that Pastor Edmund gave. You want to dedicate your workplace to God so that God's business is now your business. No more your business is my business or your business is God's business. That's second rate. But when God's business is your business, God now becomes your business partner. I want you to come. Those of you who are working in the workplace, one way or another, something has distracted you and you've gone wayward. But today, you rededicate your business back again to God. Open the altar. God's business is your business. Remember that. God's business is now your business. I don't care who you are. You could be a lawyer, you could be a doctor, you could be an accountant, you could be a businessman, you could be in IT, multimedia, trading. I don't know what it is. Teaching. But by coming forward, you say, God, thank you. Thank you for giving me a fresh vision. Today, I want to dedicate my work, the work of my hands to you. Open the altar. You come forward. And by doing that, I want to believe that the remaining days of this year, the remaining months of this year, God will begin to open your eyes to see many things that you've never seen before. Why? Because now you see the Lord, you see. Last time you see problems, now you see God. Big God, small problems. Big problems, small God. You decide. So we're going to open the altar now. Somewhere, I know God is speaking to many of you today. You come. You come, it doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter how many, it doesn't really matter because this is the house of God and the Word of God has been delivered. You respond to Him. So Father, this day, we honour you. This day, we stand with your people to, to exalt you, to magnify your name because you are worthy. You are worthy of all honour, all praise. We sang it earlier. We exalt your mighty name. And we crown you King of kings and Lord of lords over our lives. The work of our hands. And we dedicate our businesses to you. Will you do that right now? Wherever you're standing, will you dedicate the work of your hands to the Lord? And I want to pray Psalm 90, verse 17 over you today. It says, May the beauty of the Lord. Some version says, May the delight of the Lord. God delights in you. May His beauty rest upon you. Isn't it amazing? May the beauty or the delight of the Lord rest upon you. And it goes on to say, Establish the work of your hands. Establish. Repeat it one more time. Talk about repetition. Yes, yes, yes. That's what God wants to do. Establish. Like He established. There's a connotation of creation. As He established the world, He will establish the work of your hands. The Creator of the universe is going to co-create with you in your business. Establish so that the work of your hands is not in vain. Whoa! So may the beauty of the Lord rest upon you, my friend. Establish the work of your hands. Yes, establish the work of your hands. So that everything you put your hands to Will give glory to God So I thank you Jesus For this whole weekend that's gone by We thank you again every weekend Your presence is so tangible Thank you Thank you For speaking once again Lord, may we live our lives honouring you every moment of our days. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you this day. May the Lord make his face always to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face, his countenance towards you always and your family and always grant you His shalom. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Lord God, people say, Amen. Anybody who needs ministry, please feel free to come forward. There will be pastors here waiting to bless you and give us permission to pray for you. If not, God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Pastor Edmund's books are outside for sale. Please get a copy of so many books he has. So visit the bookstore outside. Pastor Edmund's books are for sale outside. God bless you. Get a copy of his books.